You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for by and about the culture. I'm your host, Panama Jackson, here on the Griot Black Podcast Network. And like every week, we have a special guest. This week happens to be my colleague here at the Griot, but you know him as a culture critic, music journalist. Uh, in the past 20 plus years, if there's something happening in music, he's been on the ground somewhere involved. Apparently he was at Freaknik. Uh, he's been, if it happened, he's been there. He's been hanging out. So everybody, please put your digital hands together for the homie Tore. How you doing, bro? What's up? Good. What's up? Man, nothing much. I'm excited we, to do this because. See, the folks no, don't, they may not know that usually when we get together, we end up arguing. So I assume there will be lots of verbal fisticuffs today. <laughs> this is exactly where I was going. So, you know, Wait, you, can, you tell, can we tell about what happened the other day? I was about to do that. And I feel free to chime in. So the part of the reason we're doing this is that so it's, we're celebrating like 50 years of hip hop. Right. This is an important landmark in the, the genre uh, that has taken over the world. And every time Tere and I get together, we have some argument about something hip hop related. This happened in Vegas for NABJ. Uh, this happened recently for, you know, Byron Allen had the D.C., the Washington, D.C. gala for the post-White House Correspondents' Dinner. And we had this hours-long, well, I don't know how long, very lengthy debate about whether Drake belongs in the top 20 greatest rappers of all time, right? Well, it wasn't uh, a debate, really, because it was a debate. I said I could name 20 MCs who you would have to agree are above Drake. And you were like, no. And I right. said there on my head and named 20 that you agreed, okay, that person has to be above Drake. And I it rested got, my- It got dicey at the end there. It definitely got it's dicey at lucky. the end. Threw out some names. We threw, we tossed out names that you didn't agree with. And I think if we said publicly some of the names you didn't agree with, you know, there might people might start tugging on your black card a little bit, but I'm just saying you're you're right. We were going through that list every time you threw out a name. I was like, all right, all right, and I don't know where Drake belongs. Like, I so where do you think he even belongs in the top 100? Like, are you one of those people? Like, where do you where do you think he belongs? What's a proper space you know, for that's Drake pretty, to be in? That's a question. I really never go beyond top 20 in my thinking because it gets so nebulous. And how do I make these distinctions? Facts. After, like that, that's really hard. But you know, I think that Drake is very much—he's like Tyler Perry in this particular way. If there wasn't the commercial success, there would be, there would be no critical discussion of the work. Film Comet would not be talking about Tyler Perry's films if he wasn't making hundreds of millions of dollars. We would not be talking about Drake's music if he was not selling tons of records, right? The only reason why we are forced to talk about it critically is because of the commercial success. But the work does not deserve the lens of like serious, critical hip hop heads. I mean, like I'm I like many Drake songs, but I am constantly lost at the almost inability to flow. And he almost seems to fuck up the flow almost on purpose at times where I'm like, wait, okay. where does he just get in the pocket and flow to where we're like, yes, I'm rolling with Drake on this beat. This like, is where you oh lose my me. God. It's, like a, 
It's like a. This it's is like a. It's like a I hate to say this. Oh wait, no. Slam poetry flow. I it's was not so real. close. Look, no, no. I was so close to agreeing with you when you said we only focus on him because of the commercial success. I was this close to being like, "You're right." And then you hopped in there with that he can't flow nonsense, which the is a hundred percent wrong. See, all of a sudden, no, no. no. Well, let me go one no. second. Because here's the problem with here's the problem with using sales, and you're not doing it, but some of the people in the audience might be doing. It. Some of the problem with the problem with using sales to prop up Drake or anybody, right? The I believe MC Hammer is still one of the top selling hip hop albums of all time. The Beastie Boys are still among one of you know Outkast is up there also, but that's a whole thing because SoundScan counted the two albums uh, as one. As two, there was one album, you had to buy it together, but they counted it as two, right? The speaker box love below. So that that was some shenanigans. But, I mean, so nobody would argue that the Beastie Boys or MC Hammer are among the best rappers of all time. Here's the thing. There's only so many hip-hop fans. We can make something double platinum. Maybe we can make something triple platinum, but there's just really not that many people who are going out to buy a record that our beloved albums are getting to triple platinum. Drake is getting to six and seven million regularly. That means that there are millions of people who are buying his record who are not really into hip hop and probably are like, should we listen to Taylor Swift or Paramore or Drake? And that's fine. But when we use sales, we are giving those people, soccer moms, suburban boys who don't care about hip hop, suburban girls who don't care about hip hop, but just like Drake, we're giving them a vote on who is the great MC? No, no, they don't get a vote at all. So we kind of have to throw but, out sales. It doesn't. It doesn't redeem Drake's inability to flow to put him alongside Jay, Nas, Three Thousand, Black Thought, uh, Rakim, Biggie. He does not belong in this conversation. Hundred percent, I agree with you by using sales. I think it's a ridiculous metric to use when you're talking about. The skill set and the art of the actual of like rapping. I agree. I do think he can spit. I am one of those people that actually thinks he can spit. I wish he did more of it, and I wish he did it, it on happen? better music sometimes. Oh, his when, early when stuff. Did, I was hundred percent like the the thank me later, dude. I I told you like his his flow on the song on one, uh, his flow on pop that with with fresh Montana. Like his verse was insane. One of my close dogs got three kids and they all three, but we always been that type of crow that been good without a plan B. So. I 100 percent he belong believe he belongs, and I'm not gonna say he's better than Jay or or somebody like Black Thought, who literally this is controversial. Who I think is probably one of the most technically sound rappers of all time can do all type of acrobatics, but you don't remember any of those verses. Like he's not as good as Black Thought is at that thing, and I. So this is where it gets, this is where the, like, I don't know where to properly rate him on that. He, he makes catchness, right? But, or Lil Wayne, like, who's really I'm, good at flow. Will, Lil Wayne has mastered the art of flow. Biggie, flow. Lil like, Wayne they have, they have that Wayne, in spades. Wayne's flow and his lyrics, incredible, right? Talking to myself because I am my own consultant. Married to the I mean, like, definitely one of the top 10 of all time. That's where I'm talking about, like, that's where I'm getting where I come to hip-hop for, right? The way that Wheezy attra attacks a track. 
I don't even care what he's saying or how ignorant it is. The way he's flowing through the track that makes me happy. That is what I come to hip hop for. For the MC to become an instrument of rhythm within the track. And I'm like loving the polyrhythm, the counter rhythm and all the right. The things that Jay, Nas, 3000, do, Wheezy do all the time. Dre don't give you that. He's that's not what he's able to do. That's not what he's about. What what is what lamenting is the point success? Of Drake? I mean, laments his success. I mean, that's that. I mean, that's that, that's, that's, that's a that's a really music. hold on. That's a really hard bar to 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 use, considering how much nonsense the significant portion of '90s rappers were talking about. The the well, '90s wait a minute. was wait full a of people talk about you nothing creatively. You can do. You can talk about nothing creatively. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure what you mean by nothing, though. Like, who are you saying you talked about nothing creative? You talking about said ignorant things or like Seinfeld, like said nothing, but it was still really interesting. I'm talking about the. So, okay, let's use for instance. There are entire Wu Tang verses where I have no clue what's being talked about, but it's done so wonderfully that I... Hey, you get off my cloud. You don't know... <laughs> like, like Method Man is wonderful at flow and all those other things, but every verse ain't exactly talking about something that's that's important the, the majority, or going somewhere, anything. The majority of hip-hop songs... Are, this is the thesis of most hip-hop songs. I'm the shit. Either I'm the shit because I can rap, because I made it in the street, because I wear great clothes and I'm good-looking, because I'm smarter than you, like, I have more money than you, like, I can flip these words or these birds better than you, like, I, that's ultimately... And, and I don't mind I'm the shit as a thesis for a group of people who've been consistently told throughout history, you eat shit, right? So if that becomes revolutionary right for white people saying i'm the shit that doesn't mean anything right but black people especially black people from the hood right most rappers probably come from a line of people who've been in the hood and may have never gotten out but for this one guy or one woman's record deal right for them to be saying i'm the shit to me that's meaningful and important right and i don't want to reduce it to here's one verse that i don't understand when i look at the entirety of what wu-tang is talking about they are making a point as a group, right? Or Method Man in general, over time, is making a point. Jay-Z and Nas, there is an, a point in an arc to their career and the point that they're making over time. What is Drake saying to us through, what has it Hold been, on. six, seven albums, many, time many out. features? What are, you ta- what is the point? what are you talking about? Let me ask you a question, because I think this is going to help gel that part, for me anyway which is going to lead into what I wanted to talk about today, as a matter of That's fact, good. which we're doing even if we're not doing it intentionally. Do you like the current iteration of hip-hop, like the non-Kendricks, the non-Coles, the, like these rappers, I mean, these rappers that are basically just all talking about how sad they are all the time and the amount of drugs they use because they're so sad and the emo, like where, where do you stand on current hip-hop? Who are you, well, first of all, who are you referring to when you say so that? So, for instance, so I like let's say the Juice Worlds, uh, the Juice Worlds, and the Uzis, um, throw Migos in there, even though they're more of the where I'm the shit because I'm rich, rap. Sure. You know, like 
the folk when I think like the NBA young boys of the world or the dirts like that that it this crop of current like hip hop stars are the ones that most people know. The list that I get from my nephews who tell me who's hot right now. So, okay, I vowed a long time ago that I would never be the old man at the club. I would never be with hip hop. I would never be the get off my lawn. It used to be better in my day sort of guy. And I strived to say like Questlove sort of gave me a different perspective. One time we were talking and he was basically like, I don't look at music as like or dislike anymore. I look at it like, what is it doing? Right. How is it functioning? Why do other people like it. Why is the culture making this at this time? So I try to take a bit more of an anthropological or sociological look at it than that, rather than saying, well, back in my day. Now, one, I do not listen to most of the people you named as you were going through that list. Um, you know, I like some of them. I like 21 Savage. I'd have to think about some of the, I think Savage has a great voice but like one of the i think you know offset and 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 uh, quavo our grain takeoff was great um there's some people i like yachty that's a little bit different um but i i mean Wait, I, yachty I, before this last album or like because I, of this I, last album i no, i liked yachty from the beginning i haven't actually dug into this new album and i know you're all about it um and yeah. i haven't dug into it enough yet i i started it on your recommendation and i haven't fully dug into it i mean what you know one of the things i think a lot about is that in the 90s especially i feel like we reached maximum density in terms of the average word per minute especially with verses right j Nas, eminem you know not dmx but a lot of people were putting as many words as possible so where would the subsequent generation be able to go, right? You can't get more dense than what they were doing. So they have gone in the other direction and their songs have a lot more space. And a lot of them use ad libs as a very active voice in their verse to fill in that space. So it doesn't sound too airy, right? So I'm just sort of like, I try to resist the impulse to be like, yo, we used to actually rap the whole verse and not ad lib half the verse, but to say, oh, okay, I understand why they're like, we need to go in a different direction. Cause from the eighties to nineties, they went more dense, more fast, more, more speed, more complexity. The kids of that were like, we can't go any further. So we'll go the other direction. So I'm trying to be like, let me notice where hip hop is going and not put a judgment on it. My day we used to be real MC. Like, I, I don't want to be that guy. So, you know, I, I, the the folks you named are not my favorites, although I I think that Jay Electronica is one of the great MCs of all time and hasn't gotten enough uh, prop, partly because he props, because probably because he hasn't released right, enough output. The prayers of the slaves are the wings that carry us. A field full of dreams is where they tried to bury us. Yeah. But I mean, like before his solo album of what, two years ago, something like that, three years ago? Yeah. I had more J Electronica songs that I had acquired here and there than many, many artists who had albums out. And I think as far as hip hop, 
we don't just, it's not just what you do on an album. It's what you do on a mixtape. It's what you do on a feature. It's what you do, you know, on your buddy's album, right? So it's not, it's not, we can't just say, well, you didn't release an album, so we can't rate you. Like, I, I, I have right. 50 J Electronics songs right here for you. All incredible. And, and J Electronica is talking about some shit. He's talking about yes. religion. He's talking about how to live in the world. He's talking about the, you know, the the mind and like he's deep. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like when I'm like, okay, so I listened to a bunch of Drake. What are we talking about here? This isn't even Diet Coke. It's fluffy like a like a wafer. What are we talking about here? Okay. Look, we're we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna end the Drake thing on that. I'm we're I feel like every time I see you from here on out. We're always going to come back to this Drake thing in some way, shape, or form, which is going to be fun. It's going to be the running conversation, the running thread. I love it. We'll see. Um, we're all probably going to be, I think we're going to be at NABJ again this year in Birmingham, oh, yeah. and I'm sure we'll be doing something with the with our podcast, and I'm sure the Drake thing will come up. We can post up at the bar like with a <laughs> sign of like, you know, oh, I hate goodness. Drake, change my mind. I love Drake, change my mind. And it'd just be incoming all day long. We would be a panel. It would be a panel in and of itself. It would be the talk of the talk of the conference. Stay tuned here on Dear Culture. All right, we're back here on Dear Culture, and I'm here with Teray, and we just had a whole discussion about Drake, unintentionally, by the way. But this this came on the heels of a conversation we had in person a couple weeks ago. But this also like dovetails with what I actually wanted us to kind of talk about here in terms of hip hop, because I don't actually know where you stand on a lot of the the important, so to speak, 90s questions, the things we've all argued about in over the course of the decade since, right? So we're going to start with one of the most important this or that type of questions that everybody everybody has, which is the low-end theory or Midnight Marauders, which for those that don't know are two landmark Tribe Called Quest albums. Tribe Called Quest, one of my favorite groups of all time. I have a Tribe Called Quest sticker on the back of my car. So you always know it's my car because I have the Tribe Called Quest thing on there. But where do you stand? Which album is the more pivotal album for Tribe? Is it Low End Theory or Midnight Marauders? Um, it's an interesting question. It's an important question because Marauders is the more quote-unquote mature album, right? Where the sound gets deeper and I think they get a little bit deeper into um, who they really, who who they are trying to be. Marauders, I mean, just as a, on a personal note, Marauders took me a little bit longer to get all the way into. I remember I felt, I felt like a ward tour hit me right away, but then the rest of it, and I mean, like, for Tribe, it was like, it took me like three or four listens instead of, like, being floored right away. I was definitely floored right away. And that's not the judgment. Uh, that's not the final judgment. But definitely floored right away with the low-end theory. I feel like the low-end theory is probably the greatest articulation of who A Tribe Called Quest is or who they who they were. And using jazz scenario, one of the most important records of that decade, um... You know, you think about Check the Rhyme, you know, talking about the music industry the way they did. Just the way it's a really beautiful and important record. Um, I would I, I know that to me 
talks about who they are, I think, better than Midnight Marauders does. And, it, and, and you know, if I was going to put something on right now, it would be low-end theory. Um, so I would go with that. So I go the other direction. Of course you do. But with a caveat, low-end theory as their second album is the more important yeah. album. Midnight Marauders, <laughs> to me, is the better album. I think it's like everything they were good at on low-end theory, they mastered on Midnight Marauders. People give you air, so I be sublime. It's enjoyable to know you in the concubines. Take off your coats, ladies act like gems. Sit down, Indian styles, you recite these hymns. See, lyrically, I'm Mario Andretti on the Momo. Ludicrously speedy or infectious with the slow-mo. But I do not think it's as important as Low End Theory because it was just like a continuation, just the, the best version of what Low End Theory could have been. Like, I think the beats are better. I th Like, in fact, if I was stranded on a desert island and I could only bring one album with me, I'm bringing Midnight Marauders. Like well, I have no, it on that, album. That, I have it first on. Of all, first of all, that's not true. That's not oh, true. Wow. You would bring De La Soul is Dead, as would I. No, but I have. But so I have a. So but here's the caveat to that. That is your best. Is your favorite hip hop album? Is my favorite hip hop album of all time. Yes. Unfortunately, see here's where here's where technology in the world comes into play. I wrote an article about this too, because I did not have De La Soul is Dead on streaming for so long. And I don't have a CD player anywhere. When I needed to fall back on an album, I started listening to Midnight Marauders 100% of the time. Right now, I'm glad De La Soul is back on streaming so I can enjoy De La Soul is Dead the way that it's supposed to be enjoyed, which is every day. But I still find myself now defaulting to Midnight Marauders. Like, if I can't think of anything to put on, I'm just kind of like, well, throw Midnight Marauders in because it's the one that always gives me the biggest hug when I walk in the door. So... I that's where I'm at with it. I played um, Biddy's in the BK Lounge for my kids the other day. Forget about the order I made. I'll go get a slice of pizza instead. Biddy's in the BK Lounge. All they do is beg and they scrounge. How did and that go? They were bugging out like, yo, this song is amazing. This song is so fun. It's so funny. Oh, my God. And like the way it grows and changes. And, you know, I think also... From the CD era, for some reason, I thought the Maceo part was the next song. And now that we're on streaming, it like presents the songs just slightly differently to where I finally realized, oh, this is a triptych. I thought it was just two parts and then a skit, but it's actually three parts. I, it's a it's a genius about record. The Maceo, um, what goes on? Maceo, what goes on? Yes. I don't know. That part? Okay. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I think when we think about as a culture, what is a tribe called quest? Uh, the low end theory is what we think about. And then the youthfulness of people's instinctive and the further growth of midnight marauders adds on to that and, and suggests like, wow, like not only were they brilliant, but they allowed us see this growth. And they were brilliant in the growth because the first album has yeah. brilliance and Midnight Marauders, of course, has brilliance. Um, but I mean, you know, the low end theory is who they really are. OK. All right. Well, let's move on to another who they really are type of question. Ice Cube, America's Most Wanted or Death Certificate? 
I mean, it's definitely death certificate. I think without a question, okay. um, death certificate is powerful and mature. I think it's, I think low end theory represented tribes maturation and midnight marauders was a further evolution. Okay. Right. Um, I think death certificate is who ice cube really was and wanted to be. And America's most wanted is a step toward it. But death certificate is the full flowering of who ice cube is the power, the anger, the rage, the fury. Hell yeah, son, you better tell him ice cube and I'm on with the motherfucking LM. It's the number one crew in the area. Make a move for your get now barrier. That record just punches you in the face. I agree hundred percent. So, I'm I'm an NWA fan. NWA is probably for years my favorite group yeah. because I just like I look. I grew up. I'm a Southerner, so a lot of West Coast music is what we got. My oldest sister introduced me to this stuff, so I remember uh, Ethel Four Zagging was the like the album that I gravitated towards because of it's it's a indefensible, ridiculous album. I don't know how many people got raped, murdered on this album. It's whatever you know. It's terrible, but the musically, I loved it. Right. So, and of course, I'm a huge Ice Cube fan because of the first album, America's Most Wanted. It took me a long time to get into. Now, granted, I'm like 11, but Death Certificate, from the second I listened to it, 100% all in. I love that album. Whenever I shovel snow, I listen to Death Certificate because that anger <laughs> is what I feel when I'm shoveling snow. That, I, that's a really beautiful um, anecdote. I love that. When you're shoveling snow, you, you know, I'm a little <laughs> older than you, and... And there was there was a huge East Coast bias. And as the West started rising, some of us, not all of us, but some of us were very snobby and were basically like, fuck the West Coast. They don't rhyme as com as complex as we do. They don't rhyme as fast right. as we do. That's not real, real hip hop. Right. And, and, and that that idea did not last too long. But there was a period when that idea was real. America's Most Wanted was Cube with the Public Enemy Bomb Squad. So right. that was this sort of warm welcome in for me to a West Coast rapper that I could unadulteratedly love this because he's still rocking with a core East Coast superstar on the beats, right, on the production. Right. So it, it was like, oh, like this is more like an East-West hybrid than anything we had seen after that point. Um, so then I was able, you know, I was into NWA. Um, interesting you say they're your favorite group. I think that is absolutely arguable, and I think they are absolutely in that top list. I think Wu-Tang is in that competition, and I think De La Soul is in that competition. And for me, it's De La Soul is the greatest group okay. of all time. But I think it's those three that are really in the competition. I want to make a distinction Duos are something different and special within hip-hop, and duos should not be compared to groups. If you have three people who rap in the group, like De La Soul, then you are a group, right? Now, the 90s poses lots of challenges because well, you they had... Maceo a rapper, too? Maceo raps Maceo all the time. barely... I mean, you think he, he raps, raps all a lot? Time. A lot. Huh. He raps a lot. I For think the guy his voice is present. No, yeah. he raps a lot. Okay. He he raps a lot, and he raps very well. The '90s poses all sorts of problems with that definition. Isn't a tribe called Quest a group? Of course they are. But then Ali Shahid Muhammad never raps, right? Right. But 
he's fully part of the group, right? Like uh, other groups, the DJ was there on stage in the shows, but is he really doing anything in the studio? Not really, but he's part of the image, right? I think right. what EPMD does, right? But then, you know, where is Gangstar? Are they not a group, uh, a or duo? Outcast. Of course I mean, they're Outcast a duo. started Even producing, though, right? You know, it's that. Yeah, yeah, you're Outcast right. Outcast is two rappers, right? So that's not, but right? that doesn't producing. throw you off, right? But they started producing no, all but their two, output, really, too. Right, no, but as long as, long as there's two, just two, you, right, okay. then we're due. And I just think we need to mark that, like, we can okay. have a whole conversation about who are the greatest duos, and I'm like, let's right. let's do that. And then the greatest. So Outcast is not in the greatest group competition because they're a duo. Um, okay. And I, I think that the duo is a specific hip hop thing that we should respect as separate from the groups. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Full disclosure. It took me a long, long time to get into Wu Tang. Like I, I, I could not stand Wu Tang when they first dropped. Now, I'm a Southerner. Our our sounds a little bit different. Like the the sound was so dirty for me. When like Enter the Thirty Six dropped, I I just could not. Like I'm coming off listening to the Chronic. Like I'm going from the Chronic to trying to listen to Enter the Thirty. I couldn't do it. I just it just did not work for me. It it was it wasn't until more recently that I could appreciate it. Wow. Okay. That I wouldn't have admitted that in public, but that's you. Um, <laughs> they, I, I think what you're talking about as far as the rough and rawness of the Wu Tang sound was difficult for a lot of people. It was difficult for me at first. I, really? I, okay. I, the, 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 re, the record review I most uh, regret was I did on them, on their first album, and I really didn't get it. And I, I gave it, it was more like a mid. I was like, this is mid. I didn't see them at all as some great thing. And then I think a few months later, I was like, ooh, I fucked up that review because this album is the shit. They're the shit. Um, you know, I, I haven't necessarily dug into like every little nook and cranny of where, you know, what they, where they've gone. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable career. I like the individual parts more than I like that first album. So when, when Wu-Tang Forever comes out, I buy the album and like, I get it in 97 when it drops. So it's not like, but, but part of my disdain was also one of my best friends in life was a diehard Wu head. So we're in Alabama at this point. He's the only one who loves Wu-Tang Clan the way he loves them. And he's the only one with a car. So he makes us listen to Wu-Tang wherever we go. So I 100% never wanted to hear ODB again. I got so tired of Brooklyn Zoo and Shimmy Shimmy Ya. I got tired of listening to Protect Your Neck. So I think part of my disdain was also the amount of it that I had to listen to because I was immobile. And the only person who could get me from point A to point B, because this is Alabama, bro. This ain't, there's no subway. There ain't no buses taking us nowhere, especially in the early 90s, was that I could only listen to this because my friend was the one with the car. So I appreciate it. Now watching the the Wu-Tang Saga show, like as I'm watching that and kind of like reliving my youth through it, I found a brand new appreciation for it. Because I've always loved Ghost, I've always loved Ray, I've always loved Meth. You know, you, I, like I said, I like the pieces, but like that first album just didn't really curl over for me until more. Now I'm listening to it and I can't stop listening to it. I'm kind of mad at myself now that I didn't love it back then because I I probably lost years of Wu-Tang standom because of how much I, you know, so anyway. I, I just re- I remember walking around New York listening to Ray Kwan's solo album. And thinking, 
Well, this is one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. Extravagant, respect the track and it's militant. Then I react like a convict and start killing shit. It's manifested. The gods work like appliances. Dealing in my cipher, I revolve around scientists. And then that album was insane. It is insane. It is insane. Okay. All right. So this one's going to be a little bit abstract because I don't even know. Th- this is not apples to apples. All right. Let's do 100% it. not apples to apples. But Lauren Hill on the score or Lauren miseducation? Well, that's not really close. I mean, Lauren um, on miseducation. I mean, that is the full flowering of who she was and who she wanted to be. The score, she's brilliant, she's beautiful, she's amazing. She's one third or maybe a half of the mix. Uh, you know, and, and you know, we know Wyclef. Oh, you go good. Okay, you call that good. Wyclef <laughs> is really shaping the score. He's making most of the decisions, right? right? A miseducation, it's Lauren, right? And she set out to do that album to show Wyclef and show the world, I'm just as much of a genius as you. So the initial concept was Clef was going to work with her on it because, you know, we're all family. And Lauren was like, you know what? No, you leave me alone because I want to show everybody else and you that I am just as genius. Because the story after the score was Lauren's voice is gorgeous. She's a great rapper. Wyclef is a musical genius. That was the conventional wisdom. And not until uh, Miseducation that everybody was like, Lauren Hill is also a musical genius. Um, and, you know, notwithstanding whatever happened after that, in terms of lawsuits, Lauren Hill is a musical genius. And the mixing of soul music and hip hop on that is so beautiful and delicate and valuable. I could, somebody just the other day, tried to argue to me that Miseducation is not a hip-hop album because she's singing on most of it. I'm like, that, that's yeah, absurd. That's a constant that's argument absurd. people have. Full disclosure, see, this is one of them confessions. I, I never loved Miseducation. Now, oh, yeah. I acknowledge <laughs> that it's... I, I, listen, Don't this you is me. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I can see that. Everybody loves it. I bought it. I stood in line for hours at North Lake Mall in Atlanta to get her, to get her autograph. But What's I the am uh, so for. I don't know that there's a problem with it. It just I don't love it the way that I wanted to, the way that everybody else did, right? You know, like you you hear an album, everybody's like, "This is the greatest thing ever," and you're like, "I'm trying to get there, like I'm really trying to get there with y'all, but I don't feel it." Meanwhile, Lauren on the score, like my favorite hip hop verse of all time, is literally Lauren Hill's verse on Zealots, where wow. she's like, two MCs can't occupy the same space at the same time, and." And even after all my logic and my theory, I add a motherfucker so you ignorant niggas hear me, which will probably have to bleep out some of that. You just embarrassed because it's your last tango in Paris. And even after all my logic and my theory, I add a motherfucker so you ignorant niggas hear me. You remember, take notes because I sold my rap oats. But like that is like my favorite verse in hip hop. Straight up. Wow. So I love the score and Lauren in particular, in a way that I under... And look, Miseducation is a completely different type of album. Like, she literally, 10 out of 10, that album, I understand. I just yeah. never loved it as much as everybody else did. So I, I've never argued with people that it's not a great album. 
I'm just always like, I don't love it the way that other people do. Do you not love 70s soul music? I do, of course. I believe I, mean, I should have been one of the 70s soul artists. I don't know what my hook would have been, but I should have been there. I mean, so much of Miseducation sounds like it was just plucked out of the early 70s, right? I mean, You're like, right. those records could fit right in. If you if you did a playlist of, you know, whatever, Earth, Earth Wind & Fire, Cool & The Gang, Al Green, Stevie Wonder, and then, you know, Miseducation comes up, like it would sound, and, and the instrumentation and the music, the, the instruments they used were meant to evoke that. They're using older instruments. They're recording it in a certain way, producing it in a certain way to yeah. evoke that sound. So I'm like, if you like that stuff, how could you not love Miseducation? It, it was kind of like, remember Cody Chestnut? Remember him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I love Cody Chestnut. What, one hit record, one hit album, and then disappeared again. And that album too was like, you know, like Searching for Sugar Man. I found an album from 1974 that everybody forgot about. That is amazing, right? But it's not from 1974. It just came out. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, it's me. I understand that it's me, and I'm fine with that. I, I, That's why I, I will never argue with people that it's not everything that everybody claims it to be. It just didn't 100% curl over for me the way that I wanted it to so I could feel I mean, how everybody else felt, but that's fine. Even even as, as, as a parent, and I know that children, you know, matter deeply to you, and when you have kids, you're in the world of kids. You're constantly around right. other kids, other people's kids, um, and the way they bring in the Newark school system and this very gentle teaching lesson that they're having it just sets you in this mood of like oh childhood utopia beauty <laughs> love black love oh god i mean so yeah. many skits were used just as like we're screwing around and having fun right de la soul is dead and miseducation use skits in a very strategic way to set the mood and to have a further comment on what the album is doing. Um, I love. I don't. Why is why has the skit gone away? I missed the skit because people don't listen to music. They don't consume albums the same way, right? Like you, you listen to those skits because they were part of the songs. They led into the next one. We're in a pluck yeah. the song you like culture, right? I feel like. Releasing albums almost seems pointless nowadays. Just drop a bunch of singles because that's how people are going to consume it anyway. You know, most, I mean, remember most when of the Kanye time, yeah. was doing, what was it, Good Music Fridays? Yes. Right? And we're like yeah. waiting for one new that song. That was a thing. A thing. That was beautiful. Yep. And that was brilliant. It and was. like, and we would all consume it and talk about it. Like, if he dropped an album, we may or may not listen to it. We may or may not. I mean, Kanye, we're not listening to it at all at this point. But we, you know, just in general, that like, I'm going to release one hot record once a week or something. Like, that's a really interesting model. It is. All right, last question. Illmatic or Reasonable Doubt? What? 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 what kind of? This is a constant kind of, argument I've had with my homies. So I'm curious. I, listen, I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to land, and I'm not going to land there. Oh, wow. I'm a reasonable doubt guy. I, wow. I'm a reasonable doubt person. And again, I, let know. me be clear, because when you do these, it always makes it sound like you don't like the other thing. 
I acknowledge I that Illmatic is probably the greatest hip hop album of all time, but if I'm listening to Reasonable Doubt ten times out of ten. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay. You don't think so. You don't think that. so. Up there, see, you're. You, I'm glad you. T- you tell me you touched on there. We're in a dope slash whack culture. Either something is dope or it's whack. There's no right. in between. He, right. So when I say Drake is not as good as three thousand. People are like, oh, you're saying Drake is whack? No, I'm not saying he's whack. I like Drake, right? I'm not saying either of those albums is... You're not saying either of those albums are whack. You made a choice, but you have deep respect for the other one. Um, 100%. I am... Stillmatic. I am... I I am completely on the notion of Jay-Z is the greatest rapper of all time, Nas number two, right? When we're looking at the whole career, the whole... Lyrics, flows, triple entendres, subjects, all the things. But man, Illmatic versus Reasonable Doubt. I mean, like, he, as as the kids would say, he ate and left no crumbs. Illmatic is incredible. He took the rappers to a new plateau. Through rap slow. My ramen is a vitamin help without a capsule. Every record is incredible. He's telling stories with his man in prison and this and that and bringing in wild style and like reasonable doubt had dopeness and i was into reasonable doubt at the time right so i was on it um talk about shooting his brother and feeling it oh feel it was murdering me these are the rules i follow in my life you gotta love it jiggy jigger looking gully in the joint if y'all brothers ain't talking about large money come on money but my God, Illmatic was a neutron bomb that dropped in the culture. I feel like I heard the five mic because we heard we heard the snuffing Jesus at the go to hell for snuffing. We heard that. Right. So we knew, oh, 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 somebody's coming. Big stuff is coming. Right. He, he was coming into the culture with like, bam, bam, I'm coming. And then I think I heard, yo, Illmatic got five mics. And I think that was the first time a debut solo album a debut album had gotten five mics i think that was the first time so it was like yo big things are happening and uh, the first time i put it in like yo this album is everything wait didn't america's most want to get five that was a five mic album wasn't it uh it it, you know now i mean i i worked at the source in the 90s i don't i'm not a source historian i don't i don't know um but i i I I, think I agree Illmatic. that Illmatic was a was a bomb. It was it was it 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 was a game changer. It was a yeah. game changing album doubt, from yeah. Reasonable Doubt came into the culture in a different way. It, it, you know, kind of like the way smoke enters the room. I remember thinking this new guy has a song with Mary J. Blige on his debut album. Okay, he must be somebody because Mary ain't coming out for just anybody. Right. So she must really like him. Like she ain't coming out just because it's a check. He's not on her label. I'm like, yo, he, and you know, as soon as I started listening to him, I'm like, I'll, I'll always love Jay-Z. Um, but Illmatic, dog, that is a, that is a monster. Yeah. For me, Reasonable Doubt, the, the punchline. So I think Can I Live is the one that really, like I listen to that song and I'm still impressed. You know, the way people are impressed by like New York State of Mind and, and it's an impressive song. Can I live like I listen to that song and I'm still like I the way that so Biggie is my like favorite rapper ever like I Biggie's the most impressed for me the the one who impresses me more than any 
any other rapper. Like, but I, I still, I still get impressed listening to him now. Got mad friends with Benzicinos, follow layers, shoot a hard players, jump in the rover and come over, told your friends jump in the GS3, got the chronic by the tree, cause. Jay on okay. Reasonable Doubt did that for me. So that's, that's, I think, why I am Reasonable Doubt. Though I listen to the both, like, Ilma, I'm still like, that's, I love listening to Illmatic, especially because I love, you know, it ain't hard to tell. Like, I love that song. So, And I hated that people were like, oh, that's the commercial record. I don't love that. Like, that man says, snuck a Uzi in the island on my army jacket line. I'm a sneak a Uzi on the island and my army jacket line and hit the earth like a comet invasion. Nazis like the Afro-Sigiation, half man, half amazing. And the way that he did that, I was like, that is the perfect execution of flow. Like that. that so, yes, I it's. It's it's one A and one B, but you know I, I'm I'm choosing. We disagreed on every point. That's perfect. <laughs> there you go. See, <laughs> there we go. All right, we're gonna take a break here. We're gonna come back, and I want to hear. We're gonna talk about the podcast that you have dropping here on the Grill Black Podcast Network, and I'm excited for it. Can't wait for it. So stay tuned here on Dear Culture. We've been debating uh, specifically '90s hip hop points and. It turns out we disagree on all of them in some way. Do you think you won any of those debates? Because I don't. You know, <laughs> I don't think that I'm wrong on anything that I said. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, you know, listen, I, I I stand 10 toes down to everything that I said, and I will never back down on any of that. And I think that's what makes that's why with every time we get together, we start debating because we get very very strong opinions about these things. What I do appreciate, like you have a very sociological, like anthropological way of looking at this stuff. And also you were there for so much of this and like covering it. Yeah. So I can appreciate yeah. the perspective you bring on it because I wasn't right. Like you were like, you're one of those people who I would read to learn about these things, especially as a younger person in a region that wasn't there at the time. I came to New York city in 1992, wanting to write and write about hip-hop and in the back of my mind i thought i have missed the party the party is over yeah. this is all trending downward right like you thought the that dope in 92 yes in the the dope wow. stuff already happened i'm i'm just here because this is my time but what greg tate and nelson george uh and harry allen and joan morgan got to write about around the 80s that was the real shit i'm you know but but this is and then you know, Biggie and Tupac happen and, you know, they die and Jay-Z and Nas blow up and all. The 90s was an amazing time to cover hip-hop. But I remember at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm late to the party. Oh, well. I appreciate all those efforts because from somebody who was so far away, enamored with the culture and romanced by New York City and L.A. and all of this stuff, like, I was fascinated reading these things and I wanted to be a part of it so bad. Like it was like air for me. And, you know, so everybody you named the Greg Tates and the, like reading all buying the magazines back then. Right. Like it actually reading this stuff was like a portal entryway into a world that I wanted to be a part of. But and there were just a couple people that I could argue and talk about this stuff with. Right. Because. You know, like where I was, everybody wasn't on the same wavelength. And I'm not saying that it was a bad thing or not, but it was just like we were like my my head was in certain places and being down south. You know, we had our own musical culture and all that stuff. And it just what and it wasn't being covered. 
the same way, right? It just wasn't at that time. So anyway, all right. So you have a podcast coming out called Being Black the Eighties, which is about music and all that. And I'm I'm I've seen like snippets and all this stuff, but but I'm excited for this. So please tell everybody what your podcast is about to be about and why they why they need to check it out and when they can check it out. Yeah, I mean, thanks for bringing it up. I I, I have been trying to do something like this for years. So, you know, as soon as I got my feet settled here, I went to the our bosses and was like, yo, this is what I want to do. And they were like, knock it out. And it's, it's more of a documentary uh, style podcast where I talk about important sociological and political issues for black people in the 80s through the lens of important songs from the period. So we're talking about N.W.A. as a way to talk about the the war on drugs. Um, we're talking about Tracy Chapman as a way to talk about affirmative action and diasporic thinking. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. And that's the moment when Tracy Chapman became a global superstar but it wouldn't have happened if not for stevie wonder having a technical problem and the awareness of mandela and the injustice of apartheid reaching a fever pitch talking about uh you know diana ross i'm coming out as a way to get into the rise of disco and gay and lesbian uh liberation movements so every episode is taking you through a journey of here's an important song and here are some of the things that relate to it um we did an episode about stevie wonder's happy birthday which was really uh, about like let's push forward the notion of we should have a king holiday and i talked to uh dr king's daughter um who really outlines you know all the things that she and her mother did over the decades from when king was killed when his uh, approval rating among white Americans was way underwater, right? They did not love him when he was alive um, and how they worked to reconstruct his image and to put pressure on legislators. And really what they talked about, what she talked about was that it was really a bottom up sort of thing that a lot of local uh, areas started having a King Day, which put pressure on people above them, and that started to make it a national thing. Uh, of course, Arizona held out. Public Enemy makes of an course. incredible song responding right. to that. So I'm in conversation with both of those songs. So every episode, we're in conversation with the great music of the time and talking about some of the important issues. So, I mean, like, kind of like, you know, a black 1980s history class, but like the most fun funky way you could imagine being black the 80s comes out in june every episode will be available on the first day and then i believe in august we're going to come back with being black the 70s which is almost done and then uh, a little while after that we're going to come back with being black the 90s which of course you will love as a 90s baby uh, I will. but just trying to tell the story of us through our music yeah that's dope man. i'm looking forward to it um, like I said, I've seen little snippets and, and from hearing you talk about it and everybody involved with it from the producers and everybody talk about it. It sounds fascinating. I'm a big fan of documentary style podcasts in particular, the ones that are teaching you something, taking an element and talking about it, uh, in anything music related, I'm going to be all in on like 100% because 
you know, I'm, I'm a music person. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, this, this is a, this conversation is a black music month conversation. So it's fitting that your podcast is going to drop during black music month. Um, so yeah, everybody needs to go check that out. You know, like, uh, I, I'm excited and I work with you. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited for this and I'm, and I'm here. I'm not obligated to be looking forward to it. I'm actually looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, well, look, thank you for being here. We're going to do this again. Cause there's a million debate. I'm, I am actually surprised that we disagreed on almost everything here. I'm genuinely surprised with that. I thought some of these were going to be the, we're on the same page, but it worked out perfectly. Worked out perfectly. Could not have worked out better. So, uh, you know, yep. thank you for being here and for being wrong so frequently and consistently. <laughs> when did that happen? When did the wrongness occur? <laughs> from the second we started rolling. From the second we started <laughs> rolling, uh, you know. You were, but... you, were, you, were, you admitted it. And I named 20 MCs. You were like, okay, fine. They're all, all bad. But when you got to 13, you were like, clearly Drake is number 13. Just leave it there. I'm like, no. Can't be number 13. It's less than that. Listen, for, for more of these shenanigans, again, we'll have to do this again. Keep, stay tuned to Dear Culture and the Griot Black Podcast Network. Thank everybody. Thank you, Teray, for being here. Thank everybody for listening. Uh, Dear Culture's original podcast of the Griot Black Podcast Network. It is produced by Sasha Armstrong. It is edited by Jeff Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcast. I am Panama Jackson. Thank you for listening. Have a black one. gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. Can I have another hit? The dark man stands up. I don't give a A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts.